Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm Mike Burbridge, Senior Director of Marketing Futures and your host for the show. We throw around the word transformation a lot in marketing, but our guest today has walked the talk on more than one occasion. Michael Collins, CMO of the CFA Institute, was brought in with a singular mission to completely reinvent the organization's marketing function. With a team of 120 marketers spread literally across the globe, this was no light ask. Get ready, because today we're talking about the dirty work of transformation with CMO Michael Collins. All right. Um, well, I'm very excited today because in the virtual Marketing Futures podcast studio, we have Michael Collins, who is the CMO of the CFA Institute. Uh, and a specialist in transformation, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Michael, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you in the virtual studio. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, so before we get into it, before we really dive in, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to becoming the CMO of the CFA Institute? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of going the way, way back machine, you know, after majoring in journalism and uh, with a minor in economics, I ended up working on the agency side of marketing before uh, coming over to the dark side of corporate, the corporate world. <laughs> and uh, as it turned out, the agency training was really invaluable to understand how to put together an integrated program across, you know, marketing and communications and customer care, you know, all the disciplines. And so um, I think back, you know, how that has really helped me tremendously as we think about transforming, turning around or transforming a, a business. And so I spent most of my career in technology or tech-enabled service companies, and as it turned out, I ended up either doing turnarounds or transformations or both, you know, sometimes to come in and turn around and transform a business and sell it. And so when the CFA Institute CMO opportunity came up, I was really intrigued because it was a nonprofit that was looking to instill um, commercial best practices across the various functions and business lines, totally, truly global, right? Because a lot of companies, organizations say they're global but they're not, right? I mean, they have an office right, right. places. I mean, we're in over 150 countries. We have our candidates who take our CFA exam, you know, hundreds of thousands of candidates, you know, in hundreds of locations around the world. Um, and we have, of course, we have offices in, you know, all, all regions. So it seemed right up my alley. And it, it's really been, a, I've been here five years. It's been a great five years. Excellent. So as I alluded to earlier, and you kind of touched on, you were brought in very specifically to transform the marketing function of CFA Institute. Could you um, kind of share some of the specifics, like where was, where were they at and where did they really want to get to as far as outcomes? You know, um, I had a, I was, this is the only time in my career that this happened, but I uh, was actually had, uh, finished up at a large public company that had been sold and was doing some consulting and taking some time off. And at the time, the, the CHRO at CFA Institute, who I'd worked with probably 10 years before and had kept in touch with. So talk about the power of keeping your network in touch with your network. Mm -hmm. reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we have a new CEO uh, who, who's now gone, but, you know, I've stayed for five years and then retired. But um, we have a new CEO who's been here about a year. Uh, they've launched the reorganization plan. And we don't really know what to do with all these pieces and parts that make up marketing, communications, publishing, digital, customer care. You know, we don't know what to do with that. And so before we put this out for search for a CMO, would you be interested in doing a little consulting project and help us figure out what we should do with it, work with our leadership team, um, 
and it turned out I met with 52 people across, you know, all the key marketing leads, their, some of their chief lieutenants, everybody in leadership team a few times, you know, went to London, um, the organization's headquartered in Charlottesville, Virginia, a few trips down there, presented to their leadership team, worked with organizational develop to do, development to do the, uh, the uh, spec. And so through that process, what I found was, is that, you know, all those pieces were siloed and there was no key point of contact lined up with business partners. And that was probably one of the chief complaints is we don't even know who to, it's this sprawling organization. We don't really know who to contact. Um, they had a strategy, marketing strategy team that was actually really good, creating strategies that actually, that actually had no budget uh, associated with it to execute. So, you know, that was another sort of- Always fun. Those are right. always great. You know, not kind of a, a complaint from the business, right? The business line said so like, these people roll up like in the strategy bus and they work with us with workshops. They create this great program and then nothing happens. And so I talked to this fellow in London who was leading it, who was really smart and, you know, really one thing about CF Institute, we have great people. And so um, I'm like, what's going on? He had all this stuff. He's showing, opening up these spreadsheets and Gantt charts. And, you know, I'm like, this looks like an amazing lead generation program, demand gen, for example, right? Like, mm -hmm. when are we going to do that? He goes, oh, well, we're not. We don't have any budget for that. I'm like, well, where's the budget? Oh, we're spending that all on the brand campaign. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, so I'm like, all right, there's an opportunity. Um, I think the other thing is, is that most things were driven from the center versus having a global regional mix. And mm. so one of the things that, you know, is a mantra that we have, you know, I've, I've probably borrowed from somebody else out there in the business. So credit to whoever that was, we call it global discipline, local freedom, right? And that, as we kind of talked today about how do you achieve agility at scale? That's one of the things um, that I think you need, you know, organizations need to get to. And I've found to be very helpful is to you know kind of have that global discipline, local freedom to be able to execute you know regionally and locally, and then finally brand marketing, as I mentioned, was done globally versus how we ended up extending that into over 150 uh, local markets and, and uh, countries where we operate. So that was sort of the lay of the land when I rolled up, and I'll just tell you a quick. I think it's a funny story. So when I was in London, I met with uh, a person who was leading all the member um, the member business, right? So we you know we have members after you earn your earn your designation, you can you become a member, just like at the American Bar Association or you know, right, right. to get your CPA, et cetera. So you're a CFA. And we went to lunch and, you know, I was, I was kind of poking around, trying to figure out, you know, where did he see the opportunities? You know, because this is all like, I want to make sure I provided CFA Institute and in in the CEO at the time, um, something that they could use as a blueprint. Never had any idea I was going to join a CMO. But he said, well, let me tell you a funny story. He said, we had these beautiful uh, brochures show up in London. I'm like, wow, this is, this is, didn't, this is for their group because I didn't even know we we're doing these. These are great. And he said, I asked, well, who did this? And they asked their, they asked their person and their person said, oh, uh, I don't know. Let me call around. So they called around and they said, I want to know how they're going to be used. And so they ended up calling around and went, got to marketing and marketing said, well, we don't know. And they ended up coming back to the person who made the initial <laughs> inquiry and they're like, hey, how are you going to use these? And they're like, I, how do these even show up? So there was a big disconnect between, you know, people placing the orders for things to be done and even like, how are you going to distribute them? How will they be used in service of members? It, it was um, a very interesting uh, situation. And last but not least, there was no demand generation happening. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the organization had gone through a period of rapid growth and figured they didn't really need demand generation. And so that's certainly something that we've changed um, over time.
Interesting. Yeah, it's always a problem when you could credibly ask, uh, is there a ghost on the marketing team? That's um... (laughs) Um, But yeah, so you touched on something that I'd like to go into a little bit more. And I think that, uh, you know, in our, our, our earlier talks that it was kind of the philosophy behind managing 120 marketers that are literally, like you said, really stretched across the globe. Uh, not in a few clusters, um, and that's the the global discipline and local freedom. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, you people think of discipline in a certain way, but when we kind of got into it, it's not like boot camp. You know, we've made the wall. We've we've carved our rule our rules in stone. In case you're wondering how flexible we are, what what do you mean by global discipline? So, you know, that's having the right frameworks for decision-making in place. And, you know, certain companies use the rapid model or racy, you know, I mean, use whatever you like, right? But have clear, clear um, points of where decisions can be made. And if you have that, you can try to push decisions as far out into the ecosystem as possible, right? So think about, you know, we have people sitting in, in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, New York, Washington, D.C., London, Brussels, um, Abu Dhabi, you know, Beijing, Hong Kong, and Mumbai, right? So we have people everywhere. And you think about the, no, the, the time zones, you know, people on calls, you don't want to be waiting overnight, going either way from the US to another geography or back, waiting on an answer or decision. But the only way that, you, or you don't want to have it become chaos where decisions are being made and you've got no idea and you're trying to keep a global brand, kind of your global brand in one piece. Right. So, um, so that, I think that's something that's, that's fundamental that you, you know, the organization need to do is like, is have the right, that's why I call it discipline. It's not around, like you said, like a boot camp or like, I'm going to give you some discipline, you know, like a punishment. It's more like, what's that discipline as a team that you can commit to each other to how you want to operate. And then really clear, like, when does someone need to get approval, right? When does someone need to ask? Or when do they just need to inform you that it's happening? And the and the and it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes just working together, and it's all about people, of course, right? Because cross-functional collaboration and matrix management for cross-functional leadership and cross-functional working teams. I mean, all of that is all about the people, right? Because you can have any sort of process in place, checklists, agreements, and if you don't have people who are operating under the same sort of philosophy that's the challenge, right? And you need all types of people, mm. you know, you know, sometimes you want people who don't want to operate within boundaries because, you know, they're, they're innovating and they're creative and I mean, you can operate in boundaries and be creative too, but, you know, but, but maybe they're not the ones that are going to be on your leadership team around the world that are ensuring that, it, because that allows the teams to move with, with agility, right. And speed Absolutely. and locally and, you know, and to act at the point of impact. So, you know, we kind of did four key things, you know, one was kind of set out that we're going to operate this global discipline, local freedom idea, right? So, and, and that took some time to create the right frameworks. And then we created key teams lined up with the business. So all our lines of business, including regions, product business units, enabling functions. So, you know, if you are the chief legal officer at CFA Institute, you know who in marketing communications and customer care you need to contact, who will then, like, like just like an agency, see service model, right? Who will be your account service person. So you know, who then will like on your behalf 
exercise the full power, you know, the marketing machine on something that you need, right? So right. Um, I think that's something that companies miss sometimes is they get lined up with the product business units, right? Or they get lined up with sales, but man, you have HR, you've got IT, you've got legal, you've got risk, you've got compliance, logistics, you know, manufacturing. I mean, you have, you know, depending on your company and they kind of leave those people out. And so right. that's where I think you find organizations where those organ those other organizations kind of create little shadow marketing groups because they're like, I don't know who to go to. And marketing's busy helping the product team. So we'll create our own internal communication. We'll create our own employee brand. You know, we need some communications in IT and some posters. We'll go do our own posters. You know, we got somebody that will hire our own people and we'll call them something else so that marketing doesn't know. But they're really doing marketing and communications. And I think that's that's a shame, right? Because it's not, again, about control. It's about how are you able to extend your brand, not only externally, but internally. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of ways, right? I mentioned. Like the second thing we did is, you know, I've got a direct reports team and we meet, we, we meet weekly, they meet weekly with their teams and so on. But, you know, it's all about communications. We do quarterly town halls, uh, you know, travel, not during COVID, but travel pretty you know, quite a bit to be actually be out with our members and with our societies and with our people. Um, and then finally, we rely heavily on technology to not only execute our marketing programs, you know, with our marketing stack, you know, using our marketing stack, MarTech stack, but also keep us connected. So for us, we use Microsoft Teams for collaboration, use Percolate, for example, for tracking and sharing campaign assets. So, I mean, it's 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 those connecting points, that connective tissue, right? Between, right. you know, lining the teams up, making sure you're communicating, leveraging technology and pushing decisions as far out into the ecosystem as you can. And the last thing I'll say on this, this part or take a breath is, you know, <laughs> It will, it's always a work in progress, you know, we'll never be done. There's, you can always do better enabling and empowering your people, but you know, we're doing our best. And, you know, I would say probably every day we find another thing that, why are we doing this here? Why, why are they just doing it in the local market? Because I think that also is what gives people, you know, energized about their jobs. And I mean, I mean, I like to be independent, right? So I don't necessarily need anybody telling me what to do. So we try to, do the same thing, you know, across uh, across our teams. Again, not perfect, but uh, you know, we're trying. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's really the reality that whether or not marketers want to come to it, it, it is just there is no finish line anymore. Like there is no, we did the campaign. Everybody will see in a quarter to talk about it again. You know, it really is a constant living process. And it's something to really more to make peace with than find workarounds for. Yeah. Uh, so that's just really cool that you may, you've done such, such a level of transformation, uh, but still understand that the job's never really finished. Um, can we talk a little bit about the kind of outcomes you did a great job of covering this kind of very decentralized and siloed. Uh, everybody knows what they're doing, but that seemed about it. Um, where, you know, wh- what do you see now as the kind of, you know, this new look marketing function of the CFA Institute? Well, what parts of it are really exciting you? Oh, I mean, the part that's exciting is, is that we have a model now where, um, we lead many things from the regions back to the center, right? So what do you call it? Call it global or corporate, you know, the head office, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I just call it from regions to the center. So, you know, instead of, instead of um, many organizations use a thing that, and I've been in organizations where this was the mantra, it was called embrace and extend. Center, corporate, 
puts things together, they send it to the regions, they embrace it and extend it. So it may mean they localize it in language, may mean they you know, ship it out locally or they print it locally, they ship the files, but they're not really creating anything in the regions, right? In your local markets. Right. For us, I mean, certainly there are some things that we do centrally, like communications to our candidates. So we, we do that we do that centrally because it's a central sort of product, you know, one size fits all product. Yeah, it's a program, you know, it's a certification. Correct. So, so we do that. But if you think about customizing member communications, uh, local events, webinars, and, and then local brand and demand generation. So you know, we use um, uh, Ogilvy, right? A division of WPP as our global agency mm-hmm, of record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of the discipline, right? So we have global discipline, but then local freedom. So in China, for example, right? The local China team in marketing works with the local Ogilvy team and our and Neo, which is our media buying agency partner, to, to create the right campaigns, you know, leveraging the, you know, the creative look and feel, but in, in the right channels, right? So in China, running print advertising or even doing some digital isn't as effective as being in the WeChat groups, right? For example. Right. So we're not doing that centrally from New York or, or from, you know, Chicago or wherever. So that to me has been the kind of a hallmark of the transformation is where this is all happening in the local offices, right? In our regional offices. And and more and more every day that's happening. We have, for example, we have a very a robust advocacy function, right? That advocates on behalf of investor rights and you know and, and other protections around the world. But that's very localized, right? So like what is important to regulators in India is going to be different than in China versus Hong Kong versus London versus Washington, DC. And so, or in Brussels, right, with the EU. And so, you know, we have local advocacy teams. And so the local marketing communications people support them and versus coming back and waiting overnight to get an answer from the way it was when I got there, sent, you know, several people sitting in New York doing this for everyone around the world. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And it really is, again, it's down to our people. Yo, absolutely. So this is one thing that, you know, I think it's just incredible, um, you know, how empowered the local teams are to really use their expertise and use their cultural context to make the right decisions. How did that, how was the initial setup for that? Because I have to imagine that 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 is a balancing act of empowerment while, you know, creating the play box to where you can operate it just seems like that, you know, it's a little, you know, people hear local freedom and might think that it's like, a, well, you know, kids, like, here's the playbook, you go crazy, don't go over budget. But I have to imagine there was more to it in the setting up and the communication and kind of really letting people know where their autonomy lies. Sure. I mean, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's a crawl, walk, run sort of situation, right? We mm. didn't get to where we are today, five years later, overnight. So, you know, I would say fundamentally, though, the key organizing principles have remained the same, which is to ensure that we're lined up, you know, decked against the various business units and enabling functions. And at that point, you know, we've just worked through piece by piece, you know, what is it that we want to do locally and where do you have to go get sign-off? And then ask ourselves, why do we have to provide that sign-off? Again, like I said, it's a work in progress. I mean, I'm sure people in my, my team listen to this podcast, some of them will be rolling their eyes. They're like, what is he talking about? You know, <laughs> we, we still have to go get approval for this, 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 and this, right? And so what I would challenge them is, is well, then let me know what that is and let's figure out how we don't have to do that, right? There I mean, you go. You think, about, you think about in finance, right, where we use NetSuite 
for example, in our accounts payable and our procurement, you know, our financial systems, you know, so you want to purchase something, you know, there's a, there's routing of approvals, right? And people have various levels of approval, you know, up to me and then up to the CFO and CEO. And so, you know, the, we, you know, our CFO has just made a change in that where we're pushing more signing responsibility, you know, to a certain level, you know, to other titles, like, you know, people that are in, in you know, I say lower levels, but you know, the, kind of in the hierarchy. Yeah. So that again, you know, it doesn't all have to come to me, right? It doesn't have to all come to the global corporate, you know, team. And so, um, so how, how do we do it? We just work through it. There was no secret sauce, right? I think getting the, getting the org structure right, to me, is the fundamental piece. And, and letting people really internalize that we really are trying to drive as much autonomy and as much empowerment as we can, you know, to to our teams and to our local offices, right? So even within the US or in the, the corporate team, as much of that to people who are at the point of impact who are doing the work um, and then just work through each of those one thing at a time. How do we wanna do, how do we wanna do the brand campaign? How do we wanna do demand generation, right? You know, what are the central principles and tenants around uh, analytics and how we're gonna be tracking return on investment, right? Cost per opt-in, cost per registration, you know, upsell, cross-sell, you know, CAC to LTV, et cetera, so that we all understand that. And then those regional teams, like in, for take China, for example, these I just used earlier, they will be using the same metrics, say the same approach. They're not going to measure something different. Right. But they're doing something different to generate the results, you know, that, that they've committed to. So, and I think you get, you just, you just get better results. Right? You, you just do. You just get better results. Kind of think about, diversity, right? I mean, just you get better results if you have diverse teams. I think you get better results if you if you let your teams lead, right? You let your marketers go out and do it with again within the parameters of 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 what you know what they can do locally. And again, I think we should challenge ourselves and my team will probably challenge me when they hear this to say, here's 10 more things that we think we could do without you or other people at corporate getting involved. And I'm like, fantastic. Let's memorialize that. Let's write that down to make sure we're all in agreement. And then let's go do it, right? Again, it's about trust. I mean, not to throw a bunch of words around, but got a great team. I trust my team. feel very lucky. And um, again, I think that's back to the org construct and kind of those principles that have remained pretty solid since, you know, I started. I mean, we've changed people around and people have moved jobs and people come and go. But, you know, that, that notion about how to organize I mean, you know, it's like a basketball team, right? You might change people out, but there's a certain number of positions. And right, right. And you've got your playbook, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. Team members have to trust each other, right? I mean, you know, so what going way back to the Chicago championship, Chicago Bulls, but Michael Jordan is thundering down the court, you know, in a playoff game and he's approaching the basket. He just flips the ball behind him to Scottie Pippen and he like, he shoots and scores, right? He didn't look back to make sure he was flipping with Scottie Pippen. He just knew. He knew the sound of his footsteps. He knew, right? He was there. And I think not to sound corny, but that is really important in marketing communications or any global, local, regional, any team, right? It's having that trust that, that your teammate's going to be there and you're going to wake up with the stuff's in your inbox that you need, or it's out to the members you promised. Yeah. And I think that's what we've that's what we've really tried to build is that is that kind of trusting culture and that you know you can count on your teammates. And we're all here with the best intention. And then let's figure out how we, you know, like I said, empower and enable folks to do their jobs. That's what makes it fun, right? 
that's amazing. Um, and it's it, it's trust is really the central thing. When you said, you know, that, you know, the CFO made some decisions about moving some like signing authority, you know, one or two steps down the org chart. I just that's such a relatively minor way to really say to somebody like, we've got your back. I know you're going to do what you think is best for this company. And just hearing that on the on the, you know, receiving end. Uh, really does make you want to do as good a job as you can because you own it now. There's real feeling of ownership. So that's just really cool to hear how that all played out. Um, so one thing that, you know, was true 10 years ago, but now is absolutely undeniable is that uh, data is the absolute lifeblood of uh, any brand, any, and specifically, you know, any marketing success in 2021 is going to be uh, heavily data influenced, data driven. Um, you touched on the tech stack a little bit, but could you kind of take us through, you know, where the state of data was when you got there and kind of what your priorities were uh, to put in place? Sure. Uh, and, you know, again, this is, I'm sure for, for most organizations, certainly for ours, this is an ongoing exercise and improvement for sure. Um, so when I got to CF Institute, data was really nowhere. I mean, we did collect data, but there really wasn't a, a data. And we had data privacy, of course. So don't, don't get me wrong, the data security, right? how we secured the data. But like how we would leverage the data and connect the data didn't really exist. I mean, we had a data lake but it was sort of like if you went just to dump it in the lake, it was like three mile islands worth of <laughs> nuclear data, right? You don't want to, what are you going to do with it, right? So, um, and so, you know, we, the organization had just installed, implemented Salesforce and had just gotten started with Marketo. And, you know, we've come so far in five years again with our, our MarTech people and our and our IT team. I mean, we have an amazing partnership. And I can tell you, like, before you kind of think about data, you got to think about having the right tools, right, to be able to connect the data and leverage it and actually, you know, harness it to, like, you know, make some better decisions. So um, we have what I think is a lean, best-in-class MarTech stack. We've worked with uh, uh, Ogilvy Consulting, formerly Ogilvy Red, to come in and do an assessment. Uh, we've had Marketo in to do not recently, but way back to get it set up right, to do an assessment on how we could optimize you know, our Marketo Salesforce um, setup and configuration. And I'd say we have a pretty sophisticated um, you know, uh, implementation. And so you know, I think this tech stack enables us to um, have our marketers make timely decisions on what investments will unlock the most growth or provide the best customer experience and so, again, this didn't come by accident. Like I mentioned, we have a very strong relationship with our CIO and our IT colleagues uh, who are ultimately responsible, right, for designing and running this integrated solution. So um, I would have to say that we don't let platforms dictate our direction on what we're doing. Uh, we regularly review um, our, the stack, right, our, our lineup of, of various uh, software and services to ensure that they're still serving the purpose that we, we had them for, complementing others. Are we getting most out of the investment? Um, and do, are we putting our customers at the center of our work? And so uh, the, what, we, what we are implementing now is, uh, which again, will be new for some companies, but we're implementing customer 360 um, that 
really brings together you know all of our pieces of data to form a much better mosaic and view you know of our customers and so you know we're mindful about what data we collect from customers and we're really diligent ensuring that's secure and that they have control over how it's used so you know we don't sell our data right we don't profit from that it's certainly something we could do we have like a it's not a, just a data it's just like a treasury of you know of of uh of value right that we have from our customer data but you know we use that to be able to deliver better experiences in how you think about this trusted lifelong relationship you know with our constituent our you know our customers our constituents you know our members and others so um that's that's where we're headed so this this true customer 360 view um which, you know, is easy to say, but it's not, not easy to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I, you know, some of our podcasts are like, oh, this is neat and kind of sit back, relax and just hear it. And then some podcasts are more like, oh, I need to jot some things down. I have to imagine uh, our listeners notepads are on fire at this point, uh, <laughs> because you've been dropping gems left and right. Um, but before we move on to kind of the conversation we like to have with all of our guests, um, if you had to sum it up for marketers looking to transform and achieve agility at scale, what were some, what would some, you know, key takeaways be? Well, you know, I think there's four key tenants or, or principles that I use when thinking about transforming a team, a brand, or an operating entity at scale around the world, world, and their, you know, accountability, um, identifying the gaps, staffing for expertise and aligning with your stakeholders. And so let me just hit those four quickly. You know, for accountability, we talked about earlier, making sure you align your marketing function with your organization's structure so that accountability lines are clear. And as I mentioned, assigning a single point of contact um, to ensure people know how to enter, enter into your marketing organization so you can provide them with great service, just as you would expect with a consulting firm or with a with a global agency partner or your accounting firm, right? You don't want to call 30 people to get something done. You want to contact the right person. I think it goes both ways. That helps marketing face off with the right people in each of the organizations to bring value. And then I think on, on you know, early on and probably continuously, you got to think about what gaps do we have? You know, what's missing from the team? Is it an area of expertise? Is it a skill set? Is there a poor cultural fit? There's an unwillingness for someone to adapt. I mean, whatever you're missing, you should make sure you have a plan to address it head on, right? Because having that optimal working team is critical, right? To that global discipline, local freedom. It's all about the people. And if you have people who don't want to get on board, you got to figure out how to do that or to try to transition them into some other role where they'd be happy. Um, and then the third one was staff or expertise. So making sure you have the right organization structure is in place is key to getting things done fast and effectively. Um, but the cha you know, challenges are arise. Um, it may be, necessary to make adjustments to the team. So, you know, I think you constantly have to think about how you're kind of shadow recruiting for new talent, thinking about, you know, over recruiting in some areas, thinking about what you're going to need next, right? So, you know, uh, we've built out recently, you know, a, a dedicated customer experience team, thinking about, you know, what do you need in terms of data scientists and research people and voice of customer and those things, but thinking about that before you need it, right? So um, you can't do that in the beginning because you're just trying to get your feet under the desk and get things organized. But I think that's really key. And then likewise, I think, it, you know, in terms of your expertise is ensuring that you're providing opportunities for your existing staff to continue to grow in their jobs, right? Whether you rotate them around to different roles or, you know, they do uh, development. And then, as I mentioned, aligning with your stakeholders, right? So making sure they support, you know, understand what you're trying to accomplish and that you're also listening to what their problems are 
so you can help them you can help them uh, you know win help them achieve so I'm going to move along to some of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests and uh, with somebody who's managing a team that sounds like they're in you know 60 to 80 different countries and regions around the world. I'm very much looking forward to uh, your answer on this. And we, we, you touched on it before, but I'd just love to get your thoughts on diversity and inclusion. Sure. I mean, that, this is, I want to say this is an easy one. It's not an easy one to, to accomplish, right? I mean, it's something that we have um, a big focus on at CFA Institute, both internally and externally. And, um, but, you know, diversity inclusion is critical in any industry, right? Not just in marketing. I know that's not what you're asking, but, you know, anywhere. And I think an inclusive environment ensures equitable access uh, for resources and for opportunities. I think uh, an inclusive culture that leverages diverse views. We talked about that, right? I mean, having, you know, having more decision-making and more ide ideation and innovation and just, you know, talent, you know, coming at you from, at, at what you're trying to do from multiple regions around the world, that in and of itself is just brings us such an important, all these views, right? These diverse views is such an important element uh, to your team's success. I mean, and, and it's something that we work hard at every day and we will have to get better at every day. I mean, I think every organization is realizing, you know, you can, you can really, you can really win bigger, you know, if you're really focused on diversity and inclusion. I mean, it's just no doubt. Yeah, I think that's been the case for a long time, but right now it is really feels like a make or break distinction, how seriously you're going to take that, how seriously you're going to invest and act on yeah. that. So that's very awesome. Very awesome. All right, Michael, we've been nice. We've been cordial uh -oh. so far, but we've got to hit you with the, with, with the, the question of doom. Uh, are are you ready? ready? What's going to happen? Okay, excellent. Michael, Michael Collins, CMO of CFA Institute. What is your favorite album of all time and why? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's right. God, there's a couple. But, uh, I think the one I'll go with is, uh, it's, I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, it's Steve Miller Band's Book of Dreams album. Oh yeah, absolutely. Way back, way back 1977. So, uh, and so I'm sure there's so many people listening to this. They're like 1977, man, that guy's old, but, uh, you know, I mean, they had so many great songs that, you know, people have covered jet airliner, right? Fly like an Eagle, um, swing time. I mean, that was, that was great. Um, you know, I also love hollow notes, but uh, I have to say that's probably my individual favorite album, you know, something more current I'm really enjoying on Spotify is uh, Heat Waves by uh, Glass Houses. So uh, I'm listening to that on repeat a lot, but, um, but that's something a little more current, but I'd say Steve Miller band. <laughs> nice, nice. I had a Steve Miller kick. It's so funny. Uh, big old Jet Airliner started playing in my head the second you said that album. <laughs> so I'm on board. I'm on well, board. Well, this is gonna be key is whether or not you can be able to play us out today with Jet Airliner. So. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, the podcast budget is not. <laughs> Maybe I can get a friend to cover it or something like that and, and, and change a word and we'll claim it's parody. Um, well, I was going to ask you what you were listening to nowadays, but you just um, you just answered it in the same thing. Uh, what is that? What's the vibe of that one? I you Now you're ahead of me. Uh, That's just it's just very cool. I mean, uh, you have to check it out. I would say the other thing I'm, you know, besides music, um, put a plug in for a podcast that I really like is Kara. Uh, 
Fisher's uh, Sway podcast. What is the uh, I, I it's the New, York, New York Times? Um, ah, yes, yes, you've yes, done yes. this right. So uh, it's a great combo of um, Washington and Hollywood. So that's why I really love it. It shows how power and influence I think works together. So um, a lot of great guests. You know, I mean, obviously some are more interesting to me than others. But the one I, the one I most recently, I don't know, it wasn't the most recent one, but the last couple was uh, about why is so much money moving to Miami, and um, I love that, of course, because. That's where I would like to. That's where I would like to be living right now. But uh, um, I love Miami. But um, anyway, I, I think that's a great uh, sway podcast. That's a great one for people to check out if they're not already uh, listening to it. Fantastic! So go check that out, folks. Um, so, Mike, what is the what is the CFA Institute up up to next? How can people get in touch with you? Um, yeah, let's say if they if they just want more more CFA, uh, what what do they do next? Well, certainly come to cfainstitute.org and, uh, you know, check us out. Um, you know, we're a great resource for uh, investment managers. We're a great resource for uh, people who are interested in the investment industry. And, um, and we have a fantastic designation CFA program uh, that's great, not just for people who want to like work with uh, work in finance or work in an investment management. I mean, you could be um, working in the financial services, services industry, building technology, right? Coding. And it would be, you, know, you could take level one of our exam to learn a lot more about the industry who you're making things you're going to go, they're going to use, right? So uh, a lot of possibilities. We have a lot of, a lot of various um, people find it really, whether they go through the whole program or part of it, find it really helpful to them. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been the Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. If you want to hear more from Michael, give him a follow on Twitter at Collins Michael. If you have an idea for an upcoming topic or guest, shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ANA.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast and leave us a review. We love hearing from you. And last but not least, for all the tools you need to transform your business, head on over to ANA.net slash futures.